You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Father, now as we study your word, give us humble hearts to faithfully uh, receive it, uh, that you might, by your spirit, transform our lives through these very words we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I think it's safe to say that in general, most people have a a desire to get ahead in life just across the board, no matter what our station in life is, to acquire wealth, uh, maybe more access to power or privilege, to have greater uh, sense of well-being and health, and maybe this is uh, to, in order to pass these things on to our children and progeny for many generations, but the thing is that Most people are not happy with their lot in life presently, uh, no matter where they are, even if they're someone of of great means. Um, We're trying to advance for all manner of things, as I said, maybe to pass things on to future generations, but perhaps just for survival, for a greater sense of uh, comfort, things like that. But there are some who are so powerless as to be truly oppressed and downtrodden. The, the best that such a person might hope for is that those who are in power might not even notice them, that they would be invisible, because to be seen uh, would be uh, to make life more difficult, and the, the greater thing, therefore, would be to hide. And I don't think that most of us truly understand just how bad life can be for some. And I don't want to discount that there are some of you who have really suffered. To be sure, there are people here today who have suffered really badly But for the most part, for most of us, compared uh, to the rest of the world and compared to most people who've lived uh, throughout history across time, we are quite privileged. For example, when I was serving at a church in South Carolina in a relatively smallish city there, uh, there was a stark contrast between the haves and the have-nots. And our church was downtown in a really beautiful downtown historic district and um, there were people who were much poorer, and they were the majority of the folks who lived in town on the other side of town near a paper mill. Have you ever smelled a paper mill before? Imagine living across the street. Well, one time we had a a bishop come visit us, like we have this morning, uh, from Africa, from South Sudan, and I had to entertain him for two or three days because he was just really there for Sunday, but he came in town on Friday. So I took him on a tour of the city that we're in and, and showed him this contrast of where we lived and where our church is compared to uh, the, the real desperate poverty that a lot of these people lived in. And at the end of the tour, he kind of, you know, sh- undiplomatically shrugged his shoulders at me and was kind of like, so what? He said to me, you know, the people who live in this neighborhood uh, have it even better than most of the people who live in South Sudan. Uh, And he was telling me that even here in the United States, the people who have the most desperate poverty have it better than uh, the people where he lives. He probably could have been gentler about it. He didn't see my point, but, but he's right. And the Gospel of Luke has as a part of its theme a special concern for such people. Uh, the, the downtrodden and, and truly oppressed. And this, of course, is because Jesus is particularly concerned for those who are neglected, for the oppressed, the outcast, the poor, the diseased, the crippled, and even those who are possessed by demons. 
There are other themes to be sure in Luke's gospel, but of all the gospels, Luke's stands out in this way as having an ongoing concern for such people, demonstrating how God is not uh, just attracted to the least, but he actively seeks them out. He actively seeks out the least of these. On the flip side of this theme, on the other side of the equation, uh, is that Luke's gospel also gives spiritual warnings to those who possess political and religious power, wealth, and influence. And we see this from the very beginning, even before Jesus is born, uh, when Mary praises God saying, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. And then at the very beginning of Jesus' teaching ministry in Luke chapter four, Uh, For the first of several times in Luke's gospel, he goes to a synagogue and is allowed uh, to to teach, and he opens up the scroll on the Sabbath day there of Isaiah, and he quotes Isaiah referring to himself saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so to this end, Jesus' mission in Luke's gospel can be summarized by what he told Zacchaeus, the tax collector, after going to Zacchaeus' home, and Zacchaeus has repentance, and Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So you can see that as a sort of mission statement for Jesus and Luke's gospel, at least, to seek and save those who are lost. And our passage today is one small, just one small glimpse into this theme of Christ bringing down the mighty and the proud and exalting the powerless and humble, of bringing liberty to the captive and seeking and saving the lost. As I said, uh, back in chapter 4 of Luke's gospel, for the first time he's teaching in a synagogue there in Nazareth, uh, Jesus went to synagogues quite often on the Sabbath day. And so by the time uh, we get to chapter 13, uh, Jesus is uh, there in a synagogue again, but chapter 13 comes when he's in the middle of his journey towards Jerusalem. Uh, by this time, uh, he's, he's been traveling for a while. He's uh, going through Galilee, and crowds are getting bigger and bigger, coming, flocking to him. He's gaining greater popularity. His fame is spreading, so much so that in the chapter before our passage today, in chapter 12, Luke says, in the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together, that they were trampling one another uh, to come and see and hear Uh, and receive healing from Jesus. And so here in yet another village, during his travels, while the crowds are gathering, he goes to the local synagogue on the Sabbath day and he's given the opportunity to teach to the crowds. And while he's there, uh, you know, imagine he's up front like I am speaking to a crowd like this and in comes a a, a woman uh, during the, the message while he's teaching. And she has some sort of medical disability that we're told is, is a, a wound that's been given to her by Satan that's bound her up for 18 years she's been suffering from this disability, which, by the way, during that uh, time would have been about half of one's life expectancy. 
uh, that one probably wouldn't live much longer on average, about 40 years. I mean, to be sure, people lived longer than that, but for the average life expectancy, half, 18 years, she's been suffering with this, uh, this disability that's causing her to double over because of some sort of spinal ailment that she cannot stand up straight. This woman is genuinely of humble estate. Her typical view is the dirt floor. If she wants to look at someone, she probably can't look at them in the face, but has to, you know, like a turtle, sort of move her head like this. Maybe you've seen people do that before. She's the kind of person who comes around to places like synagogues and churches, and people ignore them. They unfortunately just become a a sort of a fixture in these environments. We take them and their condition uh, for granted, but very few people tend to get to know them. This is because these relationships take a lot of work. It's hard to be in a relationship with someone like this. And also part of us doesn't like it because it incites fear in us, reminding us of our own frailty and mortality, that we're all a sort of half step away uh, from having such a disability ourselves. And so this woman walks into the synagogue while Jesus is teaching up front in a prominent place And he interrupts his teaching and calls out to her without any invitation from her or from anyone else and simply pronounces, woman, you are free from your disability, demonstrating that he has the, uh, not only the power, but the authority to do such a thing. Just as when he spoke and he calmed the storm or when he spoke and called Lazarus out of the grave or when he spoke and cast out a legion of demons uh, from one man who is possessed. Jesus has power over nature, over death, over spiritual forces, and has power over this crippling disease. And perhaps the healing uh, happened just then when he spoke, but for whatever reason, this speaking wasn't enough for Jesus in this situation because he, he gets down you know, from the pulpit, as it were, and goes out in the congregation to her and touches her, puts his hands on her, and uh, it's at this point that she's straightened for the first time in 18 years. She went from having zero hope of having any view beyond the, the dirt floor for the rest of her life to standing up straight and instantaneously, uncontrollably worshiping God because of what's happened. This is a a completely transformed life. Her life will never be the same again, for the better. And here's where the contrast comes in. Remember that while Jesus uh, came to exalt those of humble estate like this woman, he also came to bring down the mighty from their thrones who abused their places of power. And there in the synagogue is a lay leader. He's called a ruler of the synagogue. Uh, this wasn't the rabbi, this is a, a lay person in the congregation. This is like a vestry member or a, or a warden. He's, he's someone who isn't a teacher in the synagogue, but someone who's responsible for the administration. He has, as we say, the fiduciary responsibility uh, for, for the synagogue. And this man's response to the healing is the opposite of the woman's and the crowd that witnesses it. He reacts negatively Uh, not by speaking directly to Jesus, but to the people, almost in a passive-aggressive way, by saying, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath. 
And the reason he says this is because the Jewish religion at the time had added more and more rules and commandments on top of the Old Testament commands. And so Jesus wasn't actually violating the the command to remember and keep the Sabbath day holy. He was violating these man-made rules that had been heaped on top of it. And this is why Jesus would explain elsewhere that that man was not made for the Sabbath, but that the Sabbath was made uh, for man to give rest and well-being to mankind. In other words, the Sabbath is a gift. It's a, a means of God's grace, that God desires mercy when it comes to the Sabbath and, and not to receive sacrifices. This is why Jesus responds uh, not just to the ruler of the synagogue, but to anyone else in the room who might be thinking like him, to be sure that there were others. He says in the plural, you hypocrites, you hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to, to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Well, what could this story mean for us? One thing is that I think we need to figure out how to have the mind and concern of Jesus Christ, to have the same sort of way of thinking and concerns that he has, especially in situations like this. Because if we don't, we might find ourselves humbled, brought to shame like this man or anyone else in the crowd thinking like him, Uh, any of the adversaries, as Luke explains. As, uh, those who come from a traditional denomination like we do and have access to a lot of privilege, many of us are in danger of being more like the ruler of the synagogue in the story than like the woman. Do we put man-made religious and social customs before the teachings and commands of Jesus Christ? The heart of Jesus and the ways of the kingdom that we see in Luke are to bring liberation to those who are oppressed, not to heap on new and invented concerns that further enslave people more and more. Meanwhile, there may be some here who do identify with the woman. As I said earlier, I don't want to discount that, that there are some here who have really suffered. And if not now, at some point in your life, terrible things will probably come your way, and unexpectedly so and you will feel hopeless in that situation, or perhaps so you're, you're so racked with guilt in your life maybe that you feel undeserving of God's love, or maybe you have some character flaw or addiction that makes you feel like you don't deserve God's love and healing intervention. I want you to stop thinking and feeling this way. I invite you to go read all of Luke's gospel. And when you do that, read it again and again and see this theme and concern throughout that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, to exalt those of humble estate, uh, to see that the creator and redeemer of the world has a special concern for you. He not only sees you when others don't, but he's attracted to you when others are not attracted to you. And he has the power and authority to transform your life, to straighten you up, as it were, whatever that is for you, in whatever way that you need that sort of healing. And back to the synagogue rulers among us, there's, there's even hope for us. 
For the synagogue rulers among us, there's hope for us too. We don't see what happened to this man after the story. This is all we hear about him. But you know, he went on to live life and perhaps not only was he shamed by what Jesus said, but that could have led to his repentance. We see this elsewhere in the Gospels that such people are transformed as well. Remember the story of Nicodemus, the Pharisee, who comes early in John's Gospel, John chapter 3, to speak with Jesus. And Jesus talks to him about being born again. And Nicodemus doesn't seem to understand. And he was a Pharisee, remember. And he was coming in darkness probably uh, so that no one would see him. But it's unclear after chapter 3 what he makes of this. At the end of John's Gospel, we hear about Nicodemus again, he's there at Jesus's burial, a disciple of Jesus Christ now, a former Pharisee whose life has been transformed. And there's also another ruler of another synagogue named Jairus who falls at Jesus' feet, begging him to heal his sick daughter. So there's hope for the Pharisees and the synagogue rulers among us as well. So no matter who you are, or where you are with respect to power and health and well-being or privilege. In Christ, there's hope for you, for both those who are mighty and for those of humble estate, because Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And without his healing intervention, we all are indeed lost. And knowing that he has uh, found us and made us well, We ought to glorify him like the woman does in this passage. We ought to fall at his feet like Jairus did. And like the crowds in our passage, we ought to rejoice at all the glorious things that we know that he's done, even beyond these things, the glorious works of his cross and his resurrection. And like Jesus, we ought to have a care and concern for those of humble estate. Let's pray. Father, that we uh, might take this story to heart and all the message in the Gospels and that we see in Luke and in this passage that you and your son have come to seek and save the lost, to, to humble those of um, might and also exalt those who are humbled, Lord, that this would be true for us, those among us who are suffering and downtrodden, that you would heal us and bring about Uh, new life, that you would transform our lives and also transform the lives of those of us who have power, even if that takes humiliation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.